get it. So about three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to the Have We Made It Yet podcast. 2000, well, I said that weird, 2021. It's a momentous episode. <laughs> My name is Josh Yang. I'm the comedian co-host of this podcast. And I'm Lucas Ng, the uh, actor portion of this podcast. Yes, he is. And you know what? A whole calendar year has, well, not a whole calendar, but the calendar has flipped over to 2021. And Lucas, I just want to ask you, have you made it yet? You know what? No, I have not made it yet. Um, But things are actually picking up again. Um, It's kind of cool. I got a voiceover audition, which I'm really grateful for that I actually bought this mic because it actually picks up my voice a lot better than what this iPhone does. Right. So thank God for gear and thank God that we can still audition. Um, With that though, you know, my whole goals of making it this year are on a wall that's just right over there. I'm not going to show it to you, but maybe one day, hopefully all those goals will be accomplished. Um, Mr. Joshua Gang. Is your full name actually Joshua or is it Josh? No, no, that's just the name I go off of. Like many uh, Asian north americans uh my legal name is different my legal name is like my chinese name so i don't actually yeah so which i for some reason i kind of see it as a way of like maybe nobody will be able to steal my identity because they don't actually know my legal name oh i don't know why i just had that idea it's like so i don't even know if i'll ever change it i probably won't ever change it so Uh it's just all my legal documents is that well okay well mr yang Mm. Have you made it yet? I have not made it yet. And normally I try telling a joke, but hey, now I actually have some news. I finally have some news that I can share about this whole making it process. Um, remember last year, and I say this all the time because it was literally the only thing I could have said I, do- I did really other than this podcast last year. But the, fresh, but the yes. Fresh Rice Showcase uh, uh-huh. theater show that I did, we finally had a show meeting with the producer, Vong Show. Uh-huh. And we finally sussed out now what's going to happen. So we're going to release all of the sets from our shows. Like these are professionally shot, multi-angle, you know, color coordinated, high definition, 4K, yada, yada. It looks good. And now it's going to be edited, put together into episodes of our sets. Uh, it'll be about like eight sets uh, that we're going to be able to put out. And we're going to release them in the spring. Uh, right now, tentatively, is like kind of like a weekly schedule. Uh, the dates exactly haven't been finalized, but it's just good news to know that things are moving and that I can, Hell yeah. and that I can finally show, you know, my, my well shot set. And um, it's good. It's good to finally, finally know that like 2021 is going to start off strong. Almost. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's like right off, right from where I left off, but it kind of feels a little bit like it with everything getting stopped. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, looking forward to that, the Fresh Rice uh, Comedy Showcase. And you know what? This is going to segue perfectly into my other, uh, into our guest mm-hmm. this for this episode of the podcast, because he was actually on the, so it's kind of like Fresh Rice was, you know, the amateur uh, upstart comedians, Asian comedians. And right before that was when the professional people came in. These are professional Asian comics out of Toronto. They each did like 20, 30 minutes. It'll be cut into put into a, a well-done professional series. And uh, our guest was one of those comedians. And it was, um, it was actually nice to get to uh, know him a little bit more, actually backstage talking to some comedians and like talking to him, asking him for some advice. He was very generous, actually, earlier in the night, um, kind of sharing some of his experiences uh, about the making it process and being kind of like a professional comedian he gave me um kind of different perspectives that i hadn't really thought of before and it kind of helped me frame you know a bit more about what it means to be a professional comedian and i'm very excited that he is coming on as our very first guest of 2021 the redemption year the redemption year for humanity uh i'm just gonna list off some stuff because he's he's got a, a a solid resume he started comedy about 10 years ago, and he's been doing comedy all across the country. Uh, Winnipeg Comedy Festival, Halifax Comedy Festival, Montreal, Just for Laughs. He's done it all, and he's been pretty prolific. 
as a comedy writer. He's written for The Beaverton, This Hour Has 22 Minutes, Kim's Convenience, and his first comedy album, Peanut Butter and Jellyfish, which incidentally, I was actually there at the Rivoli last uh, fall in the nice. front row with my friends. Yeah, and we <laughs> heard him perform it live for that recording session. So it's Peanut Butter and Jellyfish, first comedy album. It's out right now on all platforms. Please welcome Mr. Leonard Chan. Woo! Hey, how you guys doing? Better, better yeah. now. Better <laughs> now that you're here. Better now that we're in a new com, new uh, era, new year. <laughs> now I'm really curious what I told you backstage. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that um, okay. because I think the thing that really did help me was kind of some of the um, like well-earned experience that I'm pretty sure if I asked some other people uh, like newer comedians, it might not have been something to think about, but it's given me a bit of a, like a framework uh, to work with. But um, of course we got to stick with our format or else what is all of this for? (laughs) (laughs) Leonard, have you made it yet? It's an interesting question, man. Like, so let me ask, let me ask, uh, answer your question with a question. How do you define making it? There it is. There it is. You know, we let our guests answer however they want, and you've caught us in a uh-huh. loop. Um, I, mean, I, can, I can't be the first guest to have ever asked this question. This true. Me. True. No, no, you haven't. Um, mm-hmm. I think initially just based off, off of how we've asked like different actors, actresses, comedians, singers, um, I think defining it is really everybody has their own definition. Mm-hmm. And like, one part of this asking this question is understanding that there is no real definition of it. That's you true. know, people will have their own goalposts, they'll set their own objectives. Yeah. And therefore, it's, we just got to know what your definition is, Leonard. <laughs> that was a good answer. That was that, that, what I wanted was just to know what you guys thought, because we'll get into this later. But for me, yeah, yeah man, I think so. You know, oh, I, get to do, I get to do this thing that I love for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I don't see ever having to stop doing it. Like the work is consistent. Um, you know, like the writing career is starting to go that could disappear real fast, uh, but the, but the comedy is always going to be there, you know? So I'm not, yeah. Like I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where I can do what I want and I don't have to worry about the bills. Mm-hmm. And you know uh, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Luke, that I, is an ongoing theme for every actor, for every comedian that we've <clears> talked to. It's so long as we can pay the bills with her art, that yeah. feels at least we've made it then. Yeah. And it's at the point where I can say no to things. Like oh. I can say no to gigs where I'm like, no, man, that's <sighs> a not enough money or it's just too, it's just too much time or I just don't want to do it because I've uh-huh. done something like it before and I know it's going to suck. So that's, I've reached this a stage in my career where I can say no when I and I think that's pretty important you know what from based upon how a lot of our guests have responded it seems like when you're starting out or in the beginning it's like you're in that scarcity complex yeah. where it's like I just I just want to get by man mm-hmm. I just want to I just want to survive and when it comes down to it like you could have these lofty goals in the future but if you're just able to do what you love you're in it for the right reasons and like it just already helps set kind of that milestone um, for everybody. Is this something that like you kind of recognized early on when you just started or did you have a different idea of what like making it meant back then? You know, it's funny because like, I never thought about it. I never thought mm. about like, oh, am I gonna make it? I'm not gonna make it. I'm like, no, I just want to do this thing because I love doing this thing. And mm. I'm gonna keep doing this thing for as long as I can. And the thing is like, I had a job you know, like I was an engineer for like 20 years. Uh, I was doing that when I started my comedy career. And it was just honestly, like this whole comedy thing is a hobby that got way out of control. Yeah. Like that's all it was. Like I never expected any of this to happen. I just assumed I'm going to be doing like, like environmental engineering for the rest of my life. But then, you know, I can do open mics and do whatever and maybe get a festival or something like get good enough, you know? But it was now like, yeah, I remember sitting around, like I sit around now with some of my friends who we all started at the same time, but they're all, they're all doing pretty well also. And so it's just like, God, did you ever think we would get to this point? And there's still much, so much further to go, but like even to get to this point, we're like, <laughs> this was never, 
anything that we could have imagined. Cause like, yeah. yeah, I mean, this stuff is hard. It's like, a, it's a crapshoot. Absolutely, I agree. And like, I feel like the key element is just pushing yourself to do it. You know, yeah. a lot of the things in the beginning, it's like not knowing if you want to do it, if there's other stuff kind of stopping you from doing it. And it's like, once you start doing it, you never know exactly where it's, where it's going to go, where it's going to head. Yeah. And I wonder if like, based on your experience, if that feels like based on like all the comedians you've come into contact with, maybe if that seems like a, a healthier approach to starting out towards making it. Yeah. I mean, cause this is the thing. If you're, a lot of people will attach arbitrary goals to what making it means. I got to get this festival, I gotta get that festival. I got to get just for laughs. I got to get blah, 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 all this nonsense. Mm -hmm. None of that matters, man. This is what I realized, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like when I wasn't getting that stuff, of course, I was like, what the f but, yeah. uh, but then I realized at some point I was like, I started, I actually started working with this comedian. He's out from LA. He's got no festivals under his belt, but he makes a living because at the end of the day, yeah, like the audience, you know, it's a good way you can sell your services with these credits, but all that matters is what you can do on stage. Hmm. It doesn't, you know, and it's too, you have credits, but you go on stage and you suck for an hour. Like, it doesn't matter what your credits were. What matters is that you can do the job, but you can do it well. And then, so then at the end of the day, like for me, I was, I never really attached those arbitrary goals because. Because if you just hit that goal, then there's just another goal you got to get to. Now you're stuck in this hedonic treadmill, you know, where you're always chasing this carrot, trying to get the next thing. It's like, okay, I'll be happy when I get that. Then you get it. Then you're like, I'll be happy when I get that. It's just like, dude, just be happy now, you know? Just do, you know, what you do. Enjoy it. Because honestly, this stuff is hard. If you don't enjoy it, why on earth are you doing it? Like, there's no reason to do it unless you love it. Uh, and my only goal was just to get good at it. That's it. I just want to be as good at this as I possibly can. Just learn as much of the craft, get as good at this art, like whether, and I, you know, that's how I've always approached everything in my life. Like whatever I'm doing is like, I got to do this as best as I can. Right. Right. Whilst maintaining a balance with the rest of my life. Cause you know, like you can be really good and then that can fall into obsession and that, that can be unhealthy. Um, and especially for comedy, it's important to have balance. Because you need to live your life. Otherwise, what on earth are you going to talk about on stage? <laughs> yeah, I feel, like a, I feel like a lot of comedians maybe in the beginning, well, not all, I, but probably just generalizing. But it, it does feel like if you go headfirst into it, you know, you kind of put your life on side to go 100% in. Sometimes then all you're talking about is the fact that you're doing and trying to do comedy. Whereas yeah. it's tougher to relate to people like, People yeah. want to know and like you have a perspective, the more you do things, more experience, even your, uh, your like average mundane life, that's some, some of the stuff people can relate to the most. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing I think, like I had an advantage, I feel, over younger comedians because I started late. Like I didn't start comedy until I was 37. Like yeah. full time started comedy when I was 37. But because I was 37, like I, you know, and I already had a full career before this. That helps with the money thing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I, really helps. <laughs> uh, because I'll, I'll tell you right now, no goddamn way I own a house in Toronto if I did not have a full career before this. Like oh comedy is, I'm doing well in comedy. Don't get me wrong. I ain't buying no Toronto house. <laughs> no, no, like, yeah. I, like I, I, I've been doing a bunch of Zoom shows over uh, this pandemic and like I do it in my basement. I got a brick wall in my basement, so it's great. Like I have the backdrop of the brick wall. Perfect. And I'll just be like, yeah, man, I'm really happy to be here in my basement. And usually <laughs> when the comedian's in their basement, that's their entire home. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I saw like a few episodes of, of your Chandemic uh, oh, episodes God, yeah. that you put on Instagram and everything. Um, I, I did want to ask you about like, say, imposter syndrome and everything like that yeah. was there a moment that you fully realized that you can call yourself a comedian you know <laughs> like like do you ever feel uptight about calling yourself a comedian earlier on um i yeah you know well i mean mostly because i, I was making my money as an engineer mm. so yeah. you know it's it's funny you ask that because like so i'm part of this organization called cask which is the canadian association of standard comedians it's not a union it's more like an advocacy group oh. and mm. i'm a i'm well, I don't even know if I still am because I haven't done anything for them for quite some time. Oh. But I'm like, I'm theoretically the chair of one of their committees. So um, one of the questions that was asked was, how do you define a comedian? Like, how mm. would somebody be 
call, like what set of criteria would somebody have to meet to be called a comedian? And people were throwing out a bunch of things like, oh, you got to, you know, do however many shows, got to headline this, got to do whatever. And I was like, no, man, I think it's if you declare comedy income on your taxes. Oh, I think that's it. I think like once you start, you know, and even and even then, like, that's a little bit suspect because, you know, a lot of comedians get paid in beer money and cash. And like, I would still call them comedians. Uh, So. So it's, it's, it's a, a really weird transition p- hmm. to the point where I started calling myself comedian. I think it wasn't until I got fired from my engineering job when I was like, well, I guess I'm a comedian oh. now. <laughs> oh, really? That was that was the point. Because I, I looked somewhere, I looked up at some of your previous interviews. Like there was the story you said where you were literally swimming through like a river of shit. Oh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> in, a, in a tube <laughs> as an environmental engineer. Yeah. And like you broke down afterwards and it's yeah. like, yo, I can't keep doing this or something like that. It's yeah. like... Was that kind of like, kind of go through that? Because you know what, starting late in 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 a career that I feel like everybody, if if they're not happy with their career, they don't feel fulfilled. They want something. T- it's like this. All this tension is built up, and there needs to be a release if you're yeah. unhappy with your career or what you're doing. And like sometimes making that step to choose to do something you want to do or you love can be a scary ordeal. But like. How was that? Because that felt like it was a cathartic moment where you knew you had to do a change. Yeah, but okay, I'll be honest. That, I made that story sound a lot more romantic than it is because really what happened? <laughs> it was a little bit of shit. It wasn't a river. Oh, no, no, no. It was a lot. It was, okay. it was like up to here. It was like, okay. it was gross. Like all that right. part was true. And I stripped off all my clothes. I was sobbing in my car. That part is true. I bought a lottery ticket. I was like, I understand now why people buy lottery tickets. <laughs> it's, you know, like it's not, be- and it's not because they legit think they're going to win. It's because you're buying 10 minutes of daydreaming of like i can't oh how nice would it be to not have to do this shit anymore Uh, (laughs) it's hope it's it's just hope hope. you're buying buying hope hope. you're buying hope but you know what but but what actually happened is like i didn't like go in the next day and be like i quit you know put my badge (laughs) and my gun on the table no i uh i basically decided i'm gonna start doing the bare minimum to not get fired but still collect a paycheck uh and then i fucked up on what the bare minimum was and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I got fired. So that's how I became a comedian is really what happened. You know what? Hey, <laughs> ain't nobody walking away from that engineer. Uh, no, it was a lot of money and paycheck. I worked from home. Okay. So I've been working from home oh. since I ever, since I began my career. I've always worked from home. It's really? Been, like I, and yeah. And I, yeah, I won't take jobs where I can't work from home generally. Mm. Wow. So, so then. Yeah, so then this whole like work from home with the pandemic is like it's just kind of everyday shit for you, even from the beginning. Yeah, it's changed nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's oh, not it's like wow. I have. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, but yeah, no. So then I I just decided I didn't want to do as, you know, like other things happen at that job where I'm like, oh, they don't really value me. So I was like, mm-hmm. fuck it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then when they, when they fired me, like, it was one of those moments where I walked into the room and I saw my boss, but I also saw my boss's boss. So I'm like, okay, oh. I know what's going to happen. You know, it's like in Lethal Weapon, the guy walks in, there's like plastic on the floor. <laughs> He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. That was it. And I was like, yeah, I'm finished. Huh? And then, yeah. but they gave, because I'd been in the company for like 11 years. So I got like wow. a good amount of severance. Oof. Yeah. So that was even better than if you quit, technically. Oh, of course. If I quit, I don't get severance. Like, that was honestly, like, I made the calculation in my head. I was like, oh. I'm going to keep collecting this paycheck, but I'm still gonna, now I'm going to, like, devote way more time into comedy. Because at <laughs> that point, things were starting to happen, you know? Mm. Like, um, and I was like, oh, this could be a thing. But, like, like you said, it's really difficult to, to actually make that leap and be like, I'm going to go do this. So they did it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, like, it's just it's all kismet to a certain degree because you never know like sometimes you just need that push you need something to fuck up in your life where it's like suddenly you don't have this like opportunity cost that is going to wear you down like this paycheck you're getting that you can't like force yourself to take away is something else has to push you to do it and it's like starting at 36 37 man that that is <laughs> that is something like where it's like in the comedy world the way i've like seen some some people like initially is like oh there's some comedians start in the early 20s oh they make it big so soon and that's like maybe if i'm starting this as a hobby 27 28 is that too late and then you started at 36 37 it's like 
these expectations, these concepts of what it means, like even for acting, how early, how middle, how yeah. late, it's like, yeah, it it's all, matter. it doesn't matter. It's just, it you, you got to focus on what you want to do. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, there's certain things, obviously, like I ain't going to get into the NBA at 37. <laughs> fair, fair. And that's the only reason is my age. <laughs> um, you got the hands, you got, you got the ball or you got the, oh man, clearly. I used, that's... To, I used to be able to dunk in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, damn. damn. I had like a 40 inch vertical. Dude, once, with once a name with Leonard. Time. Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, R.I.P. Leonard. R.I.P. Leonard. Well, he's not dead. He's just in L.A. He's dead too. I mean, he no, might as well dead be dead. dead. Have you seen that team? <laughs> Yo, Paul, like Paul George building a coffin with bricks off the side Ooh, of the backboard. Damn. Yeah, I mean, he just has has the worst luck. Like Serge Ibaka just elbowed him for all of Toronto for like <laughs> for leaving us just out of that. It's, it's like the first game too, and it's like, oh wow, buyer's yeah. remorse, Kawhi. So funny. <laughs> Um, I meant to ask you also with, you know, cause I went into my craft a little bit later than say, you know, the general people that usually do, like I'm 32 sure. right now. And, yeah. um, you know, when I go to acting classes or anything like that, some people are like 18 to like 21, just fresh grads from any drama school. Sure. Um, do you feel like you, you do have a more competitive, at least mental advantage with the people that are also in the same field as you in the comedian that you are not so uh beholden to the term comedy and making it in terms of financial means well that helped yeah for sure like for sure because like the money issue isn't as big of an issue i mean it's don't get me wrong it's still an issue i got bills i gotta pay but <laughs> like because it's not as big of an issue i don't feel as much pressure, mm, pressure. and then i can be like i can focus more on the craft and not looking for jobs and because and because i did that i feel like the jobs came because I was focused on getting good, you know? And so instead of like, just, I mean, it's a little different for actors because you're, you have to go out and look, like you have to audition, you have to yeah. do all this stuff. Like all my, a lot of my comedy stuff came from like word of mouth, mm. you know? Like people see me and then they saw me at a show and they saw me at this, like blah, blah, blah. And then just all kind of happens. Like I haven't had to do a lot of like going out and looking for work, yeah. you know? Um, it's all kind of, I've been lucky in that regards. And, but for, you know, I think the one thing that really helped me in terms of like, uh, is just being able to manage my own business. Because remember, it's show business, all right? Like we are the products, Yeah. you know? Like we, like we generate this art, we create, we work on our craft and that's what we're selling. We're selling our craft to <laughs> whoever wants to buy it. So we got to know how to market ourselves. We got to yeah. know how to like read contracts. We got to know like, cause I don't have an agent mm. or a manager. I do everything myself. So I'm like, why on earth am I going to get somebody like 10, 15%? I've been able to get everything on my own so far. Why am I mm -hmm. going to give up percentage points? I mean, at some point I'm going to have to get one, but yeah. Uh, but that's been really helpful because like, you know, like I, I just know how to navigate that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, that is really important, but also like when you're older, especially I think as an actor, if you're older, like it, again, life experience does feed into absolutely how mm -hmm. you like, you know, how you perform, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what style of acting that you've trained in, but like, presumably you draw on your own life experiences to know how you would feel in this particular situation so that you can bring up those emotions so you could throw them on your face so that people see it on screen. Yeah. The longer you've lived, the more likely it is you're going to have experienced something that's similar to somebody you're playing and whatever it is. And then, exactly. you know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, like it's just at the end of like age, can lead to more experience, more experience, as long as you're paying attention can lead to more wisdom and more wisdom is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no I doubt. agree. Because like, I would say like, I never even thought about pursuing comedy or stand-up comedy, even as a hobby until I moved to Toronto. And I feel like a good part of that one could be just because like Vancouver, the scene isn't so big. I thought maybe there wasn't that many opportunities. I never even thought mm. that much about it. But two, I felt like I haven't even really started to understand exactly my own concepts of who I am as a person or what my thoughts yeah. really are Yes. in the first five years of like when I was 20, just in school, <laughs> living at home, you know, yeah. and trying to get through school and just even understanding what, a, what my career or my future may look like. It's just, mm -hmm. I feel like even if I started then, I wouldn't be able to have kind of the, the skills to analyze and communicate as I would now. Yeah, because, well, with comedy, comedy runs on two engines. It's craft and perspective. 
So craft, you can learn. Craft is like, you know, how to write a joke. How do you perform that joke? How do you tell that joke? How, like your stage, like, you know, how do you, you know, move around the stage? Like any of that stuff, like craft, you know. Perspective though, is like how you see the world. And that's unique to you, right? It's like your opinions, like the, your views on things. Like, you know, and of course the older you get, the more honed your perspective is going to be because you're going to have seen more things and you're going to like have more opinions on them and you're going to have experience more things that are going to color your opinions and, and uh, you know, provide you with more perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and then comedy is really just the art of using that craft to communicate your perspective to an audience in a way that's funny, which means like delivering truth in an unexpected way. That's kind of how I look at comedy, right? And mm -hmm. so then the mm -hmm. more perspective you have, the older you are, the more perspective you're likely to have and the better your comedy is going to be. Yeah. So totally hear you. Um, I also meant to ask you too, uh, you talk about your wife or you're, you basically talk about your relationship a lot in your comedy fits everything. Um, yeah. have you ever gotten yourself in trouble by saying too much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the reason, the reason why, by the way, I talk a lot about my wife, it's because I got married and then right and then I started comedy right after I got married. Cause oh. kind of actually what happened is my bro, well, my brother-in-law is a comedian oh. on Vancouver. I didn't know that. Oh, on Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. So wait, did you start in Vancouver, Josh, or did you come to Toronto then start? No, see, I think the most I ever had relationship with comedy was I would go down to the comedy mix occasionally here when mm. one of my friends had free tickets because they God, would just I'm, give out, right? Yeah. They would just I, give I, out I free tickets. That was, that was, I think that was my favorite club in Vancouver. It was so mm. fun to perform at. It sucks that it's gone. I know. Now that I look back on it, like I would have loved to be able to maybe do one of the amateur nights because yeah. I think when I went back last December to try and uh, right after I kind of just started, I managed to get on the Yuck Yucks um, amateur night and yeah. finally got a chance to have like my friends see me do it and my parents come and see me do it for the oh, first nice. time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know your that reaction is like, should I want my parents to see me when I now or should I wait later? It's like that decision. Yeah, the first time my parents ever saw me do comedy was that Rice show. Right, yeah, you mentioned no. that. Yo, that was like... <laughs> That was like pressure on top of pressure. Yo, it was funny, man. Like I was standing, I, and I remember I was like, Vong, do not tell me where they're sitting. I do not want to see them. I just mm. want to just go do my thing, not know yeah. where they are. And then basically at some point I was just like, I'm just going to focus on Olivia Chow. <laughs> or, or Kathleen Wynn, because they were both right in the front. So I'm, right, like, I'm going to focus on them and not look for my parents. But at some point I did see them and I was like, ah, now I can't look away. Now I know where they are. And I just, I was very conscious because like Vong was telling me, oh, this has to be clean. Mm. Even though his set wasn't clean at all. So I was furious because <laughs> I was like, what? I had to be clean. So I was like, because I, my, the problem when I was doing that set is because I already sold like so much of my material to like CBC for various festivals and just for that. Mm. And I was like, what do I have left? Like 20 minutes wise. That's like what I can put together thematically. Yeah. And I looked at all the stuff I've left. And I was like, oh God, like the theme is dicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's dicks. <laughs> and, uh, but it made sense. Like it made, you know, but then because uh, Vaughn was like, you gotta be clean. I was like, okay. So I kept saying penis and it's so much worse to say penis oh. over and over and over. <laughs> again no so too, much worse two syllables that's too much than it's dick. worse yeah uh -huh. i should just come up with different slang for dicks i don't know why i didn't think it, because i was so busy doing other things yeah uh, anyway so after the show my dad came up to me <laughs> and he hugged me which he never does i'm like weird. oh wow and then i know from an asian like interesting the, right isn't that messed and then yeah. he uh he whispered in my ear too much penis <laughs> I've always wanted to hear, by the way. Yeah. But not from my dad. You know, <laughs> you, know you need just a right amount. Just a yeah. right amount of penis. Yeah. I mean, Too much is... Oh, that, that's great. And you know what? That actually, that actually ties pretty well um, to kind of the conversation I remember uh, like us having. Because mm. it was... I think it was all such a new experience to me. To be fair, very grateful I was able to even do that. I just started like half a year earlier and this mm -hmm. opportunity just plopped, plopped yeah. in my lap. But to get a theater show like that early on is amazing. Yeah, extremely, extremely grateful. And it's, again, it's not another thing where it's like, you never know what happens if you just start. And it's just, yeah. just starting, who knows? Just but, be um, there, be good, people see you. That's how it goes. Yeah. I and can trace, like, well, do this, but then afterwards I'm gonna, I can trace the lineage of my career based on the shows I did and what led to what. 
Interesting, interesting. And that's mm-hmm. probably the line of a, how a lot of comedians do it. Um, but like, so what happened was like, backstage, first time I was ever in like a backstage scenario in that kind of like theater, of course. And it's like seeing comedians talking to you and, and Ron Jossel briefly. And I think when I asked you is like, what was kind of the some things about right, advice or experience, you, you mentioned that like, oh, it's like how you structure your sets. Because like, me as somebody starting out, I'm very focused on the writing. I want to remember everything, hit every um, timing right. So I memorize it. I'm not very free flowy later on. I would like to, but like when you told me how you structured your sets, how you go in and you have some, some idea of what you want to say, but you let the audience tell you where you should go and you're that you have enough experience and skill to make those changes on the fly. That was something that I'd never well, not never, but it's like, it was so interesting to hear it from a professional comedian. It's like, oh, this is how you get good. This is how you can manage a crowd. This is how you can build a career off of this skill. And I guess based off of that, it's like, that must, that obviously takes years to do. It's like, at what point did you feel like you were able to do that? Um, yeah, so like in order to do that, you have to A, be very comfortable on stage, uh, yeah. B, have enough material that you can switch between things. Uh, and then just see, and just see, just have a good sense of how to read crowds, which is just experience. Uh, so yeah, like I kind of, like I don't really go on stage with set lists anymore. I just go up and just start right. talking and we'll see wow. what happens, you know? And, it, and, that, and that actually is a lot easier the longer the set is. If it's like a right. seven minute set, I kind of have to be like, if it's like, you know, cause seven minute sets generally don't pay and I'm usually using them just to test material, but if it's like an hour, yeah, whatever. I'll just go out, start yapping. Sometimes I'll just do crowd work if it, if I have to, or like right. if I want to, and I can use that to lead into like a different bit, but I can do that like organically. So it sounds like I'm just riffing, but it's like material. So people are like, oh my God. And they get that like illusion that this is all just happening on the fly. But like most of it is like rehearsed. But I'm also been, uh, like I've kind of gone to the point as well where, you know, cause I, I started as a writer and I, I think, I feel like you also are a writer. Like I've heard your material, like you're, you write, right. you know, uh, I was never a performer. And so everything came from the writing. Uh, and so I learned how to write jokes and I internalized that so much that now, like, you know, how people talk about writing on stage. Fucking, I have no idea how that's, that's, possible to be able yeah. to have that flow of thought and be able to write on stage and have it come that's that's kind of where i put it in like different schools where it's like either you're an analytical like you're a writer or it's like somehow you just have the talent and on stage you can just let it go and flow yeah so i think there are people who can or the in on the latter uh category where they're yeah. like yeah i can just go up and just riff and then i figure out what the crowd likes and then i kind of like go in that direction they're saying stuff and that can work but i think it's not that effective unless you know how to write on paper. Mm, and right. now, because I've, d- I've written so many jokes on paper, like I've internalized how to do it so much that I can go on stage and just start doing it. So now I'm willing to like explore tags. I'm willing to like just go off on tangents and just like write bits on the fly on stage and then see, how they- and sometimes they don't work. So I'm like, let's just move back to something that's, you know, because comedy is all about momentum as well, right? Like if you right. start losing a crowd, then you're just digging a deeper hole that then you have to, pull yourself out of uh, with like a lot of good material in a row. Uh, so, uh, but now, yeah, I've hit a point where like, I, I can now write on stage, but only because I've internalized how to write on paper so hard. In fact, there was a bit that I was doing for a while. Uh, and then I remember I thought of a new tag. I was like, oh, I should go write that down. And I keep everything in like Evernote. And then I went to Evernote and I was like, where the f- where is this bit like and I realized I'd never written it down I've been performing it for like three months and I've not once had written it down wow but be- but I thought I had because like in my mind I had gone through the process of everything I just hadn't physically done anything right interesting yeah, it was yeah like but- I emulated the Commodore 64 in my head Some- sometimes like it, you got to rewire in order to to be ready for the job um but like, I guess going through that, because with all those experiences, you mentioned like you could trace your your like comedy career lineage all the yeah. way from your shows. Is like, like what were some of the the highlights that you you knew were like some turning points, some making it moments 
I gotta gotta throw it back to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no. You have a brand. I understand. Gotta, uh, <laughs> you gotta go with the brand. Uh, but um, okay, so when I first started, I was doing a lot of open mics. I was doing every show I could, really. But at the same time, I wasn't doing every show I could because I had a full time job. So I, I wasn't one of those guys who was like, I'm gonna grind and do three shows a night. I just I was like, no, that's silly. I'm an engineer. I'm going to look for efficiencies, okay? <laughs> so uh, I started my own show uh, and I was doing that. But then, you know, weekends I would try to find other shows to do. So there was a show that was uh, up in Richmond Hill. It was at a St. Louis Barn Grill. Hmm. It was run by this guy named Liam Kelly, who uh, he's still around somewhere. I, just ha- I haven't seen him in a while, but he's still around. I would go up, I would do his show. It was like a mic, essentially. Uh, you know, and then he saw me, he liked me, he was a producer. And then uh, he was doing a fundraiser up in, uh, I forget where, like somewhere on Barrie-ish or what, uh, or Kenosha. And it was a fundraiser for, sorry, Kenora. Yeah, what, what, it doesn't matter. It was a fundraiser for hockey, all right? Like mm, some junior right. hockey stuff. So I went up, I did, helped in the fundraiser. I was middling. The headliner was this guy named Ian Sirota and he's like a yucks dude and whatever. But he also... Um, runs this thing called the 905 festival and that's out in oshawa Hmm. and the 905 festival is affiliated with the cbc and they have a radio show called cbc laugh out loud Hmm. and so ian sirota remembered me from that show because i did really well and he was like a year later he was like hey i'm putting out this festival you want to come do this festival it's going to be recorded for cbc and it's going to be on the radio show and they get like a million listeners you know for each show i was like yeah so i did it i practiced so hard uh you know and like ali hassan was supposed to be hosting and like i was asking questions and stuff and ali hassan nicest dude on the planet uh he's this comedian he's been around for a long time he's like he's the host of q uh right now right and uh and yeah and he was just like the nicest dude and then i went i did it i crushed you know and uh i mean i did so (laughs) hey real real you got to recognize it when it's real yeah um and then uh, yeah then so that made it to the radio and then uh and then people heard that on the radio and then i got hired for another thing um out in halifax to do this performance for uh this natal day i think it's called or natal day i think i pronounced it wrong and i quite certain i pronounced it wrong on stage in halifax yeah. but whatever I, I guess the day before was prenatal day yeah <laughs> um and then uh, I was opening for this dude named Derek Edwards, who's one of the best comedians in the country. And, uh, and then I did really well again. And then he was joking because it's Derek Edwards uh, that he was joking to the bookers. He was like, I don't want to follow this kid, <laughs> which of course he doesn't have a problem doing that, but he's joking yeah. about it. But then they were like, oh, I guess we should pay attention. And those guys booked the Halifax Comedy Festival. And like, and these bookers wow. all talk, right? And so yeah. then, um, you know, and throughout all this, like I won like a big competition at Absolute. There was like the two, uh, Prove Your Comic competition that I won. And then, yeah, and then, um, yeah, that's just, that's just kind of how it went. And like your name gets out there. People hear like, and like people book based on buzz. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. like, oh, we hear about this guy. Because there's like so many good comedians out there right now. They just don't have buzz for whatever reason. I got lucky, you know, it's all, it's, but I worked hard. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like, okay. I mean, I say this every now and then uh but like this is my metaphor for how to succeed okay in the arts or just life in general all right this is my metaphor we didn't even have to ask oh here 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 comes here comes the fortune cookie gold here it is is. all right this is the metaphor all right have have either of you ever gone surfing no i have not okay uh so when you go surfing uh, there's a lot of things that have to go into successfully being able to surf and not getting eaten by sharks and stuff. Uh, you have to learn how to surf, obviously. You have to figure out how to stand on the board. You have to get good at handling all that stuff. Uh, and then you have to swim. You have to paddle mm-hmm. out to where the waves are. So basically, that's all the work is. The work is learning how to surf. The work is learning how to do all the things you got to do. Paddling out to where the waves are. And that's it. You cannot control when the waves come, but you have to be ready for when they do. Mm. And then when they do, you ride that wave all the way to shore. Maybe you get thrown early because you weren't ready. All right. And hopefully it's not like a major setback, but got to get back on the board, got to keep working. And then at some point you get good enough to catch any wave that comes your way, but you cannot control when they come. You can only go to where the waves could come. Right. And that's it. And you just repeat that for your entire career. 
some people get lucky. They catch a wave and that wave takes them all the way till, you know, death, <laughs> but pays the bills. Some other people, yeah. they got to keep going out and catching more waves, catching more waves. But like either way, you got to figure out how to surf. Yeah, no, that's a great, great metaphor. So then pretty much I could see that lining with a lot of what I've thought about in terms of this, like just being ready. I've heard from other comedians as well. It's like from um, uh, Foad as well. It's like you got to be ready for when that opportunity hits. You got to work towards it. You got to hone your skill, mm -hmm. have the, the comedy packets ready so that when that wave comes, you can catch it. And the point of all of this could be that you just have to go out there every morning. Like you, you got to actually be there and put yourself in that position to try and try and get catch that wave. So you put in the work. All it is. The That's the only thing that really differentiates somebody who's really successful and somebody who's talented. It's the work. Yeah. The talent can get you a little bit of a head start, but like mm -hmm. somebody less talented who works harder is almost always going to win. Yeah. Mm. So it's, you're a surfer, I assume. I, I mean, I've surfed one time. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a really good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> just, just base this whole life wisdom off of surfing one time. That was a great surf that day then. It was really great. It was a good time. <laughs> I didn't die. It was nice. It was and, in and Waikiki. I, very, very nice. Nice. <laughs> And I do have to say, like, props to you. And I'm sure you've gotten this many times, though. Like, you did this all by yourself. You didn't need a manager. You didn't need an agent. Like, this was solely based on your own hustle of your promotion, of your own talent, and also just incredible work that you put into your craft. It's a lot of work. Yeah, but I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. Like, yeah. I was never going to be the best environmental engineer, you know, because <laughs> I didn't love it, man. Like, uh -huh. you know. I was up to here in like human feces and I was just wasn't like, like, oh, this is worth it. But like, I've had moments in comedy that are quite analogous to being up to here and shit. And uh -huh. I've been like, but this is, I'm willing to put up with this because I actually love this. Yeah. Um, and you know? I think this might be a good segue all the way back to, I think what, what Lucas asked about like kind of balancing with family or girlfriend relationships. It's like, how have you found, because especially at like, later in life other pressures are going to come coming hitting in like getting married having kids you know how have you balanced that those kind of pressures of, of some would say just like a, a regular life schedule <laughs> with pursuing comedy i the most important thing is to marry an extremely understanding woman <laughs> uh, you know mm -hmm. uh my wife is awesome like she she has never said, don't do this, don't do that. She's always like, oh, if, if, if this is for comedy, this is for work, that comes first. Mm. This is a group opportunity, that comes first. She, you know, yeah, it's, she's been very supportive. Um, and I've been supportive of her stuff too, right? Because she, she does, she's following her dreams also. So it's just like, that's what you got to do for each other. You know, mm. like you, like you're not responsible for their happiness, but you're, you should not stand, in, like you should do everything you can to support it. Like to support mm. their ability to be happy. And, cool. uh, yeah. Just th throwing out even more wisdom. That, that one, that was a freebie. You know, yeah. yeah. This is what happens when you're old. You know, you accumulate <laughs> shit. It's just all rattling up in there, you know? And it's not, you know what it is? It's, it's not like I'm any wiser than anybody else. Like, I mean, if, if I am, it's because I am old enough to have fucked up so many times. <laughs> like I am just, I just made more mistakes than the rest of you guys. That's all it is yeah and i don't like, know man you, you took a pretty responsible route like i don't think you fucked up being an engineer though like that's pretty good well no i don't fuck that up uh but i fucked up a whole bunch of other things <laughs> and, and i mean as we speak i'm sure i'm fucking things up right now but that's fine i mean the key is not making the same mistake twice if i fuck up and i figure i fucked up i gotta figure out well why how did that happen what happened how do i avoid this in the future you know what is interesting like I f I'm wondering if this is just like some kind of trend or like, I don't, I'm not sure if it's like a cultural kind of structure or way, but a lot of Asians in entertainment, like comedians as well, like Ken Jeong, um, like Simu Liu, it's like mm -hmm. you s start off as a doctor or yeah. working at a big four accounting firm as an engineer. And then it's like, at some point it's like, oh wait, I have agency. I want to do what I want. I'm an adult now. Yeah. I'm going to make that decision to go into something else. And it's yeah. like, I wonder 
from your like perspective, like how much of that do you feel like could be cultural or if it maybe, or I'm making too much of it, it's just individual experience. <laughs> I mean, I think if I was like truly Asian, I don't think this stuff happens, you know? <laughs> I think like we're Asians in Western culture. So like yeah. there is this very, there's that undercurrent of follow your dreams, you know? But I feel like because we're Asian, we kind of go about it in a more practical way. Yeah. You know, like we don't go about it being like, yeah, I'm going to throw away everything and like jump into it at first. It's like, no, no, no. Like I got to, you know, like we're going to look at our budgets. We're going to be like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this right? You know, make a plan. Let's not be idiots. And I yeah. feel like part of it, I think, and, and yeah, like the Asian upbringing is a lot of it is work ethic, right? Like my parents instilled that in me. So it was ne- like, you know, like any person of color typically works really hard because I, I don't know if you guys were told this, but I was where it's just like, well, you got to work twice as hard to get the same amount of opportunities as all the white people. And it's just like, that sounds like a terrible deal. <laughs> but yeah. okay, so I just worked really, really hard because that is the only thing I can really control. You know, mm. like the only thing you control in this life are your choices and your attitude to the results and you cannot control anything else. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, that makes, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And like, similar to I guess how you started and like how I'm pursuing this now I do I'm what I'm getting out of this is more the passion of the craft being able to have these conversations doing this but it's it's fulfilling me in the interest and hobby element and that I can do it on the side as I maintain a nine-to-five which thank god I find I was able to get a job (laughs) congratulations to to maintain that thank you last fall especially right now but like wait what what is your job uh I started a job at a tech company so kind of like it's not a startup. No, not anymore. It's a bigger, more established tech company, which thank God I have benefits now. Like <laughs> I can't imagine being like a comedian for years with, with no benefits. I've already have no benefits for like last two, three years. And I'm like, Oh, thank God I can go to the dentist. But um, nice. yeah. So it's like maintaining that job while being able to do this on the side and build kind of the skill and to eventually, you know, if something happens, be ready for it mm-hmm. and then make that decision then. Yeah. When yeah. you, when you went through your process of getting better, right? Like you mentioned a lot, perspective, gaining experience, utilizing that. Mm-hmm. How have you felt like in terms of your material in the beginning versus now that like coming out of engineering and now you're fully doing it as a professional comedian? It's like, how do you feel like your perspective has changed through your material? Well, I mean, we're always evolving as people, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. talk as much about marriage anymore. I feel like I've kind of mined that for a lot but like every now and then things come back and I was like okay like it's you know uh, comedy like all it is is like you're developing a little machine in your head like you're developing this mill it's like the joke mill right and the better you get at writing this joke like the you take you're taking the raw material of life and just and then hopefully what comes at the other end is something that people like that I can then sell right because that (laughs) <laughs> which yeah. it's like I'm still doing engineering, you know, just taking raw material that's not worth much and refining it so that it's worth something. And that's, you know, it's a process, right? And then the, as I've gotten, you know, as I've been doing more and more comedy, like the process gets refined. I learn new things. I learn, oh, there's this trick I can do about like, you know, try, like I learn different approaches to do, to writing a joke. I learn different uh, ways to structure entire sets I learned it's like that's the thing I love about comedy is that there's always something else to learn mm. I could do this the rest of my life and still not even come close to scratching the surface of how much there is to know mm-hmm. you know with comedy writing all this stuff with all this art stuff and like and it all kind of feeds together right so it's like getting good at writing getting good at performing getting good at all this like it all comes together for the final <laughs> for the final product and then yeah the more you do it like the more you learn the more refine, and the more you figure out what works best for you right that's also part of it because like you gotta you gotta experiment you know like i you know i I see what your style is now um like when i started i was a one-liner comic Hmm. like i just wrote one-liners and i had a character really (laughs) yeah i spoke kind of like really soft like quiet like i'm a quiet asian but i would say the most ridiculously filthy things uh (laughs) or like dark things like really dark jokes you know stuff like that which um uh, and then, uh, and then yeah, I just kind of like moved away from that, but it taught me how to write jokes, mm. which is really important. Mm. And then after, and then I started experimenting with storytelling, you know, like make, doing that stuff. And now I have all these like different skills I can, you know, 
do like some one-liners as like a palate cleanser and that can move into like a story, you know, because if you're doing a long set, you can't just go like, yeah. like it's like a mixtape, right? You got to have some slow jams and you then you, you know, like the audience, you got to give them some time to breathe. You got to like, you're, you're break, it's a journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you got to control tempo and stuff like that. So then you have all these like different little tools at your disposal. And the longer you do it, the more you develop these tools and the better you get. Yeah. I mean, that, seems like a pretty again I, I feel like this is very indicative of like how you think it's like that was very nicely set up from beginning to end the advice the experience and like as you're saying like acquiring these little skills well not little skills what i'm saying these are these are foundational skills what i'm saying but um <laughs> like acquiring these skills and i think this is a good point to like kind of dive into then like your first comedy album which yes. you know is a big one for a lot of comedians because they you never know when you got to do it. some people might do it too early or maybe do it too late and i think i was i was lucky just so having to be there at the rivoli when you did your recording there of your mm. first comedy album talk about like can you share like how that was being able to now craft something into a final product your first album get it done and let that material go uh yeah so the reason I did a comedy album is because I had enough material. Like I had a lot of material where I'm like, I'm not even doing these jokes anymore. Mm. Like I've moved past them. Like I'm, you know, I got this 45 minutes. I've already done. I'm already like, and I was already moved on to other things. There's other things I'm interested in talking about. Like there's other things <clears throat> that I wanted, you know, to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, well, I should be making money off these jokes, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so I was like, yeah, let's record an album. Uh, it just kind of made sense, you know? Like, it was like, I, these jokes are ready to die. Like these, jo- I, I, I'm just going to polish these jokes up. I'm going to put them in a boat, light them on fire, send them off to Valhalla, right? <laughs> yeah. And then get checks in return. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, because that's, that's where most, and this is the thing, most people know it now. It wasn't really known before, but like, that's where most of the money is in comedy. Like, there's like the live performance aspect, but the royalty is from satellite radio play. Right, radio. And so yeah, it's huge huge uh like my last check was a good amount of money (laughs) like that the last check that one check alone would put me above the poverty line wow okay (laughs) let's uh check the canada cra tax run and what that line is and we can do our own calculations to figure that out yeah you guys listeners at home i ain't gonna tell you the number but you can look this you You can can get a baseline for what it ought to be uh we could we could guess we could guess um uh, but it was, yeah, so it's nice. I mean, and that money's not going to last forever, right? Because like you, the, the album came out last March. There's like that time where like it gets played a lot and then it's just mm-hmm. going to go down and then the, the royalties will disappear. And then you got to do another album, which was always my plan. Then pandemic hit. And so I was like, crap. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you, you you had to pivot and you got to put something out and the Chan Chandemic series on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was just... To, I, well, I was, I needed something to do. And I was like, I need a project. I need new skills because I can't yeah. do this things. And I had all these tours like lined up and then they all got canceled. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right. So I was yeah. like, I need, I'm going to learn how to edit. I'm going to learn how to color correct. I'm going to learn how to film stuff. I'm going to learn how to write like in this style. I'm going to learn how to do all this stuff because yeah, it just felt like doing something. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I didn't want to come out of this pandemic without having used the time productively. Um, oh, absolutely. And- like, <laughs> If anything, we we totally understand where you're coming from. We we created a podcast out of it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, I think it's important, right? Uh-huh. Like, but I mean, for honestly, like for me, it was like I need. This is how I cope, anyway. I just kind of yeah. throw myself into work. I need, and I think this is true of just humans in general. Like, we need things to look forward to, because if uh-huh. you don't have something to look forward to, then it's like, well, why on earth are you getting out of bed in the morning? And that's how you get depressed. And it's so much easier to get depressed when there's literally nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, absolutely. And yeah. I think there was there was something that I did want to just ask quickly about um, kind of your experience, because I, I know uh, looking through your social media, there was that incident during COVID uh-huh. where where it's like you were writing for this hour has 22 minutes and like you got you were on that app, the COVID alert app, you got an alert and essentially shut down the writer's room for oh, this. Yeah. This hour is 22 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and later on during the show, I think, uh, is it Mark Critch? I yeah. think yeah. he he was interviewing Justin Trudeau and brought it up. It's like, yeah, 
we did yeah. this interview, but like COVID fucked it up. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, one of our writers uh, opened his alert app and uh, discovered he'd been exposed and we had to shut down the writer's room. So my final question is, I have no more questions because all our writers are gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Trudeau knows about my COVID status. That's where I'm at. <clears throat> uh, what a bizarre life. <laughs> uh, life experience. That, yeah. That but is. the funny, but you know, the thing about 22 is like that wouldn't have come about if I didn't decide I'm going to do Chandemics mm. because the skills I developed doing Chandemic was exactly what they needed because they asked me to audition for an on-camera role, right? Because right. they were like, we're, nice. we're trying to hire like new uh, featured players. And I was like, all right, cool. Uh, so then they're like, audition. And I was like, what do you need? And they're like, well, write a monologue and then, you know, whatever, right? So I basically did a Chandemic, you know, and I it was very specific because uh, I was thinking about what would they want. So I did something about like, it had to be about Canada. They, they mm. like politics, but I'm Asian. So it's like, it has to be something about that. So it's just all about Huawei, right? So I just did this whole thing about Huawei and like all, the whole thing and how like Canada's get stuck in the middle between like America and China. And there's this, uh-huh. yeah, like it's not public, but like, uh, and that's what got me the job. Wow. Nice. So you never know. <laughs> it's oh, just- You never know. Just learn as much as you can, put in the work to do, to learn all these different skills, crafts, and you don't know, like things will come back. I feel like that, that should, that should just be the title of this, this episode. You never know. (laughs) You don't. You never know. Um, Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these. It was a wealth of knowledge, like a wellspring of knowledge, (laughs) a a geyser of knowledge, a, a, keep going what else you got how many more i just suddenly i remember you say you did some really dirty stuff it's like yeah a <laughs> orgasm sure. of knowledge there it yeah, is you gotta it is. throw it in there but um yeah, yeah now just, we're coming i ejaculated wisdom all over you guys <laughs> yeah that's and that is the scientific term that's the scientific yeah. term we're good yeah. um but yeah okay great Let's ask you some 10 questions because that's that's how we roll as well. Okay. Uh, we got to ask you, not 10 questions. We've been asking you questions. Um, <laughs> so at the end of our podcast, we like to play a little word association game with our guests as a palate cleanser. And uh, I'll have 10 words. Lucas will have 10 words. And in true fashion, clear your head when we hear these words and say the first word, image, idea that comes to mind when you hear these words. It's going to be penis. It's going to be <laughs> It's going to be too much. It's going to be too much penis. Too much. It's going to be too much penis. It needs to be the right amount. Um, <laughs> and and then we'll uh, we'll go in there and end it off there. Lucas, did you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. All right. You feel good? Are you in your Zen space and everything? Always. All right. Always. All right. Uh, also, uh, penis is uh, too vulgar for us. So uh, please uh, just say <laughs> cock or dick. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> sharp, very sharp terms. We only accept sharp terms yeah. for yeah. For and co- and cock and dick are funny because of the K sound. Yep, because of the K sound. The fricative. All about the fricative. <laughs> All right. First word of ten. Identity. Ooh, Asian. Oh, I don't know why. Anger. Cool. Oh. Interesting. Nice. <laughs> uh, anger. Peace. Silent. Calm. Later. Today. Stability. Freedom. Nice. Uh, Shake. Move. Family. Wife. Privilege. (laughs) Me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Uh, Pandemic. Vaccine. And the last one, Leonard. Chan? I don't know why that was the first thing, but hey. Because <laughs> you're an egotistical maniac, Leonard. 100%. I, yeah. I feel like we've all established this. I mean, <laughs> but. Uh, if you hey. haven't figured it out by now, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> all right. Sorry, Josh. I think I might have taken one of your words. You might have, but hey, I'm going to go off the fly. I'm going to come up with another word. Nice. nice. I, I don't I, remember any of those words, so I might just have a different answer. Man, True. woman, people, camera, TV. I don't know. Hey, <laughs> those are very good words. Those are the perfect words. Those are the perfect words. <laughs> They're the best words. He the has all the best, best words. The best words. Um, 
but yes enough about uh, that guy um okay let's go i got 10 words i'm gonna go off the fly because i'm an educated person (laughs) i feel like i know at least one other word okay first word future oh (laughs) unknown pineapple (laughs) oh Ooh, Ooh, semen i guess (laughs) yes that's what we're that's what we're looking for rain drops alone quiet motivation always kumquat (laughs) um kiwi mountain climb tightrope balance satisfied hopefully and ending now it is ending now thank you leonard chan for coming onto the have we made it yet podcast first guest of the new year thank you so much happy to be here thank you guys for having me man this was fun thank you thank you so much and you know what we gotta plug your album right peanut butter and jellyfish so everybody go it's out on everything all the platforms out there uh itunes apple music spotify everything whichever one pays leonard uh none of them pay anything <laughs> like spotify oh, right. and all that it's stuff a radio. Like, it's radio yeah it's satellite radio go so get a serious xm subscription but uh yeah i have like thousands of plays on spotify i got like 18 bucks or something it's not great and that's how <laughs> spotify likes it that's how they like it um but yeah Check that out. Check them out. What are your handles as well for uh, where people, where can people find you? Um, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm on at the Leonard Chan. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's Facebook, I guess. Uh, just go- uh, whatever. Google me. I'll come up. Yeah. Yeah. Your, uh, your website also has like. Oh, yeah. That too. Show dates in the future when shows yeah. exist yeah. again. Theoretical show dates. Yeah. Theoretical show dates. <laughs> yeah. So check Leonard out. Uh, he's a great mm-hmm. comedian. Um, and we're looking forward to whatever is coming up next. What, yeah. What does your future look like? Um, <clears throat> so uh, right now I'm trying to r- finish writing a pilot for CBC because uh, nice. I got a show in development with them. I am losing my mind uh, mm. because writing is hard. Uh, <laughs> yep. uh, so yeah, I'm legit going crazy, but then, uh, so I got like an 11, another 11 days to finish this off. And then I start work writing uh, for a kid's TV show for a little bit. Nice. And then I'm writing for a CBC gem series. And then I'm going back to write for this hour's 22 minutes. And then by that time, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Maybe hopefully this pilot will be somehow I've produced something decent and that'll go somewhere. And then who knows, but who knows? Yeah. Things will come. God damn, Leonard. Like, props, man. That's consistency. <laughs> I mean, hey. That's two months of work, my friend. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I might be unemployed for the rest of my life after March, so let's not... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know. Yeah. You never know. You never after know. My, you know, I go in 22 to my, my N-word tirade for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go, go out unforgettable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lucas, uh, what are your handles? Uh, everyone can find me across social media at Lucas John Ng and Josh. Oh yes, oh sorry. You usually you usually ask me what your handles are, and I think I had a Pavlovian response where it's like I was waiting for you to say it before oh. I could say it. But uh, we're, we've done this enough of that. I'm conditioned. But um, okay, so my handles are at Josh Yang Comedy across everything, and of course, um, if you want to fall asleep to my voice. You could listen to the Sleep with Josh podcast where I read (laughs) random boring things like the dictionary and laws to help you go to sleep. So check that out. Sleep with Josh podcast. It's real. It's not a joke. It's out there. Um, (laughs) You know, it's a good podcast when you have to preface, if you have to qualify it with it. It's real. It's not a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. My, My latest episode, I read the calendar for 2021. So it's riveting stuff. Okay. Oh. Like I read the dates off one by one. Yeah. Do you describe the firemen in the calendar as well? Yeah. <laughs> this is a reading yeah, for yeah. the visually impaired. <laughs> oh, I'll I'll get you there. I'll get you there. Um but yeah, so look that up. And also please, oh geez, like and subscribe, follow this podcast at 
HWMIY podcast. Uh, also, YouTube, please subscribe for this great three box content that we bring here. The holy, the holy trinity of visual podcasting. Um, but yes, follow us. And again, thank you, Leonard Chan, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Perfect. Okay, see you all next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 